you turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, you know that for the last seven, eight weeks we have been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably been more than that, probably eight. This might be week nine, I don't remember. Uh, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and just taking it a verse at a time. And I told you several weeks ago when we started the Beatitudes that the Lord told me to slow down and start hitting things in detail. And I said, Lord, it's going to take me forever to preach through your one sermon and uh, he said he didn't care how long it took me. I needed to preach it. So that's what we're doing. And uh, this week we are looking at the wonderful topic of adultery. So, <laughs> last week, two weeks ago, uh, Jason Harshbarger was here this last Sunday. And I heard great things about that. I uh, appreciate him. He's a good friend. But um, two weeks ago we talked about how not one thing, Jesus said not one, one thing is going to be removed from the law until everything is accomplished. And Jesus set the groundwork to counter the claims of the teachers of the law that suggest Jesus is breaking the law. Instead, He continues to set a higher standard of the law by getting to the root of the issue by dealing with the root of sin in man's heart. And that's what we're going to deal with today. So look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, uh, after the week before talking about murder and hatred, this week He begins to connect lust as being equal to adultery. You have heard that it was said, do, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now we could just stop right there and have an, an altar call. Because there's not a, a living, breathing man in this room that hasn't done that. And ladies, there's not a living, breathing woman in this room that hasn't done the same. We are people who live in a fallen flesh in our culture today where sex is glorified and where so many things have taken God's truth and have perverted it for selfish means. This God that we're talking about today, this God that reigns, is a God that can see into our hearts. He can judge our motives and can judge the truth of everything that is within us. He, he, you know, folks, Jesus said, it was said, do not commit adultery. Well... People, as we said a few weeks ago, like to create loopholes for everything that they do. And a person would like to carry on this old mentality of, well, I can look, I just can't touch. And they wanted to live in the lust of their heart as long as they never touched the other individual. As long as I never carried out adultery, as long as I never actually moved into a sexual relationship, then I am innocent. And the truth of the matter is, as Jesus pointed out, that to even lust after them is defying His standard of holiness and what it is that God has called us to. So what does it mean to look at a woman or at a man in lust? To look, and the root of this word means to turn toward her or him with your eyes and to consider her or him, to contemplate and to examine. In other words, this is not just a notice. This is not just a look. It's not, guys, that time where an attractive woman walks into the room and you go, there's an attractive woman. That is not sin. What is sin is what follows afterward in your mind and heart. Where do you go with that thought? The fact of the matter is, we're not talking about a, a, a glance or a notice of somebody. We're talking about a look, a contemplation of somebody. What this means is, is when you're rubbernecking. <laughs> and your wife says, what are you looking at? Nothing, man, nothing. I'm not looking at anything, man. You've crossed a line at that point. 
You no longer are noticing God's creation and admitting there's a, she's a very attractive woman. But once you're a mind and your heart and, and, and you go down that path, you have crossed over from a notice to a look. There is a difference, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but, but uh, I want to remind you that doing this, gentlemen, is a disloyal thing towards your wife. To allow our eyes to examine every part of a woman that walks by at the mall or at a restaurant or, bless God, even at church, we have dishonored our wives. And to allow our minds to go down a path of further lust is only deepening the bondage in our hearts. Now, ladies and men, I guess I'll get to ladies in just a minute, men even, ladies, I want to give you a clue. You automatically think that men are just sexually just messed up in their minds and we're always, <laughs> we're, we're not constant, okay? And I will say this, gentlemen and ladies as well, those thoughts and those examinations aren't always sexual in nature. Hear what I'm saying? Sometimes if we're not careful, the look can become the look of, I wish my wife dressed like that. I wish my wife would encourage me and smile at me like that. I wish she would say nice things to me like that. And so now the mind goes down and we begin to appreciate this other woman just because of the nice things and the attention and affection she shows us. The compliment, the words of affirmation. You know what? You're a really smart guy. I wish my wife would talk to me like that. Suddenly these desires aren't necessarily just sexual, but they might meet other needs. And so the look becomes, wow, I wish... I had her as a wife. And ladies, you're not off the hook. Because you do the same thing. Yes, sometimes the thoughts can be sexual. Yes, sometimes you look at a guy and say, wow, he's fine. And ladies, don't act like you don't do that because I know you do it. <laughs> our culture has been developing our ladies for a lot of years to act like men. And so now our girls are becoming more and more uh, visually stimulated. As a matter of fact, the pornography industry is designing pornography this day and age to draw in the women. They realize they've lost half of the culture because they've not been focusing on storylines, romantic element. And now the, the statistics are huge of women that are viewing pornography on a regular basis. It's just what it is. Our culture is trying to transform. But ladies... Not only that type of a look, because maybe that's maybe not as big of a deal, but, but, but there, is a, there is a thing in your heart that look that you have toward a guy that is wrong and dishonors your husband. And it usually, we know, guys know, because it usually comes out of you in an argument. It's that statement that says, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't have to worry about this stuff because her husband doesn't do that. And her husband actually painted a room for them the other day. Her husband never leaves the car on empty for her to have to drive to work. Her husband actually mows the yard and doesn't make her have to do it. Ladies, you know what your husband's just discovered? That they have been compared to Mr. Unnamed and they have lost miserably. That is a look. It's an adulterous look. It's a look where you have admired someone else's husband or another man to the point to where you've looked at him and said, I wish. 
You see, this, this thing that Jesus is talking about here isn't a loophole that says, well, I can look, but just don't touch. I can, I can do all these other things and just not follow through with intercourse, and it won't be adultery. Lust, in its root meaning, is this. To turn upon a thing, to have a desire for, to long for, to covet of those who seek things forbidden. Coveting, folks, is one of the Ten Commandments that goes along with adultery. Usually the root that drives a person to adultery is to covet. It is broken when we begin to fantasize about another person. However, when lust takes place, we begin to pursue, to chase after. In other words, we turn away from our spouse and we begin to admire and desire for and pursue after this other person. And that seems to me very similar to what I've explained multiple times about repentance. We're pursuing this lifestyle and Christ is over here, so we turn away from our sin, we repent of it, and we begin to pursue Christ. Israel, as they were in the wilderness, were recorded as God's calling them an adulterous people. Why? Because they had turned away from God and their look now, their gaze, was upon the idolatrous lifestyle of the nations that were around them. You see, folks, when it comes to adultery, what has to take place is, is that we have to take our eyes off of, our lust takes our eyes off of that which is glorified by God and turns us toward that which is forbidden, therefore bringing upon ourselves that claim of adultery. Let me just say this. If you're pursuing Christ, you're not going to pursue adultery. You're not going to pursue sexual immorality. I, I'm a pastor, and I've had countless number of people in my office either dealing with pornography, dealing with some form of fornication, sexual immorality. I've had uh, homosexual individuals in my office. I've had married couples in my office dealing with uh, adulteries. I've had innumerable examples. And I can give you one common denominator. I've had a lot of these people, some have been in the church, some have been outside the church, some have been from other churches. One common denominator. So, uh, how's your uh, prayer and devotional life? Non-existent. Doesn't happen. It's not there. 100% common denominator. A person stops seeking Christ, they begin to pursue their own desires. They turn away from their spouse and they pursue the other things. 100%. You see, folks, our repentance must be a repentance that drives us to pursue Christ. Because if our repentance is only external and our heart is to desire the things of the flesh, then we are going to fall into a major trap. And we can, to fully understand this, all we have to do, we don't even have to look very far, we can look at the life of King David. David. He is the first recorded pornographer in the Bible. Everybody says, what? They had pornography in David's time? He was a voyeur. He was a voyeur. And, and, and all, that, all that pornography is is legalized voyeurism. David, when he should have been off fighting with the kings, 
When the kings go off to war, he should have been with his fighting men. He was living in his luxury, in his palace, and he was taking a nap, and he was bored. And in his boredom, he decided to go up and take a leisurely stroll on the top of the palace, where lo and behold, he looks down and he sees the wife of one of his best friends, Uriah the Hittite. And she just so happens to be bathing on top of the house. And that, that, that notice of her wasn't just a notice where he goes, whoa, I didn't know she was out there doing that. Instead, it was a look. And the look became lustful. And he's like, I know her. That's a good woman. And she's a very attractive woman. Uriah's away. I'm here with nothing to do. Calls her over to the palace. Ultimately has intercourse with her. Ultimately a baby is produced. Ultimately wants to hide instead of confess his sin. And so he covers it up. And then he invites Uriah back from the, the front. And Uriah, Uriah, being an honorable man, refused to go home and be with his wife when his friends were out fighting on the front line. And so he tries to get Uriah drunk. And Uriah sleeps outside the palace. And so David sends him off with a letter. It says, when Uriah, Uriah gets there, send him to the fiercest fighting. And when he gets in the middle of a battle, pull everybody back so that he's killed. You see, it begins with a look. And that look feeds a lust. And the lust moves to action. And the action brings all kinds of trouble into our lives. And it was trouble that was felt by David. It was trouble that was felt by Uriah and his family. It was trouble that was felt by David's family, his kids, and in the kingdom for decades to come. You see, the problem is, is that we live in a culture of lust and in a culture that sees no problem with the look. And the result is, is that most men are finding themselves in David's situation and a lot of our women and our girls are being trained to catch his eye with their nakedness. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? Everybody's saying right now, I can't believe he's preaching this. Just preaching the truth, folks. The Holy Spirit laid this pattern out ten weeks ago. And I'm just following in obedience. We have the porn industry more readily available than ever before. Moms and dads, we hand smartphones to our children at young ages with internet access. We, our kids that are teens today have had cell phones since they were little bitty smartphones surfing the internet. Well, I check, their, I check their history regularly. Listen, they are way more technologically advanced than you are. There are apps that will hide everything that they want to go do. And until you figure that out, you find that app, trust me, there's a hundred more out there they can download and have. Handing a smartphone to a child is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Just saying. We have got to be careful because the look is everywhere. It's teaching us. It's training us. There are things forged in our children that, that don't understand why they do what they do. They're just following the culture. Not only that, they're producing their own porn and distributing it with apps like Snapchat and many, many others that they think, well, I'm going to send it out. One person's going to see it and then it's going to be gone forever. We all know from the news a couple weeks ago that it's not gone forever. And not only that, you can have that called back up. They can retrieve it. And you can, under 18 years old, be charged with distributing child pornography. And there is no clear direction on how they'll charge you. You can be charged or tried as an adult, depending upon how many times you've done it and your past criminal record. 
Even if you're 14 years old. Woohoo! If you're 18 or above and you think you're going to send out something to somebody on Snapchat and, or other of these sites and that it's going to be gone and nobody's going to know about it and it goes to an underage person, you will be prosecuted with a Class B felony looking at 5 to 20 years in prison. The look is a big deal. We're not playing a game here, folks. This is the real thing. Today in commercials... You can't turn on a a television without commercials having sex in it. I refuse to eat at Hardee's because of it. The most disgusting commercials you've ever seen in your life. I have to turn away from the television. I literally have to turn my eyes because it's ridiculous. All these performance enhancing drugs on the television. I'm sick of it. Why? Because our culture is enamored with it and we are to a place to where people have exalted sex and sexual immorality to a God and they are pursuing their God in their worship and they're unfulfilled and so they're constantly looking for more and more and more. We are this close to becoming Sodom and Gomorrah to the point to where people are feeling around in darkness looking for somebody to sin against. So in our culture, we have a problem. This passage of Scripture that I'm teaching you today, people sit and look at me and think I'm crazy and old-fashioned. That marriage was meant for one man and one woman for once and all and finished. Because of the condition of our culture, we should deal with our sin very aggressively. Matthew 5, look again, verses 29 and 30. Jesus begins, He tells them, He says, it's, it's the look and the lust is just as bad as the adultery. That's where it begins, that's where it starts. But then He says how to deal with it. Verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The first thing that I draw from that and the most important thing that I draw from that are the look and the adultery is a heaven and hell issue. Jesus didn't mince words, did He? He didn't say it's it's okay and it's acceptable and, and it's rationalized and in, in, in all of your lusts and all of your sin, it's all okay. Jesus begins to point out the punishment of adultery. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now what he did there is, is he showed that he wasn't just talking about adultery, which is a portion of Leviticus chapter 18. He says all the sexual, sexually immoral. Sexual immorality has a long list. You can go back and read it in Leviticus and see where all these things fall. It goes from the very simple thing in the look all the way down to bestiality. It goes through all of these things so that a person can have clarity and understand when God says sexual immorality, He's talking about all this stuff. So then you look in Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, again, that's that whole category, are those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Jesus is saying that we need to deal very seriously with ourselves and whatever it may cost us on this earth, whatever sacrifices it takes, avoid the fruit of adultery, which is hell. Isn't this encouraging? Jesus was one of those preachers that he just taught the truth. 
He loved us enough to tell us these things. Why? He loves us very much and wants us to avoid two things. First, the impact that sexual immorality can have on our lives and the lives of our families. Secondly, he wants us to avoid hell. This is why Jesus said it. Our culture is a culture that is steeped in sexual immorality, both in thought and in deed. Carla made this statement a few weeks ago to me and and, uh, came to me when I was preparing for this message. She said, just in a conversation, she said, we have homosexuals begging to marry and heterosexual Christian couples who have a chance to honor marriage and are choosing to not marry but move in together. It's a reflection of our culture. It's a reflection of our confusion about marriage being a sacred thing, about it being holy. Can I say something? I'm going to say some things that are pretty harsh to you. Is it okay if I say something pretty harsh to you today? Good, because I'm going to anyway. Thanks for the permission. And I say it with love. We have a tendency as Christians to do this, and it's totally wrong. We like to take the homosexual and say, these people are evil and tell them they're going to hell. And and instead, we ignore our own lives. We ignore our looks. We ignore our pornography. We ignore our adulteries. We ignore our own fornication. So I just put down a few statements. If you are quick to condemn the homosexual, but you are fornicating, which is having sex outside of a marital covenant, your punishment will be the same as those you condemn. If you are quick to condemn the homosexual, but you are lusting after women or men, whether in pornography or in relationship, your punishment will be the same as those you condemn. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. If you are quick to condemn the homosexual, but you desire another man other than the one you are married to, your punishment will be the same as those you are quick to condemn. If you are a single person and you are lusting to be in a relationship with a married man or a married woman, or are in a relationship with a married man or a married woman, your punishment will be the same as those you are quick to condemn. And I don't care how many church services you come to. Listen, I'm telling you this in love because someday when we were talking at the end of worship about ruling and reigning and Christ ruling and reigning and coming back to bring His church to Him, a bride that is spotless and pure, I want you to be there. I want me to be there. I'm a recovering pornographer for crying out loud. I don't want to go back to that lifestyle. I don't stand in condemnation, but at the same time, I am aware of myself. I have accountability with my wife on that. Sexual immorality of any kind, adultery of any kind, leads to hell. Please understand, I'm not talking about a temptation. Okay? All of us have temptations. I'm not talking about a momentary lapse of reason. I'm talking about people who practice who are carrying it out in their lives. There is grace and there is opportunity for repentance and God wants us to do that. And because of this, we must take drastic measures in repentance and protecting ourselves from sexual sin. And what Jesus was saying here is there's two things. We have an eye and we have a right hand. The eye is gouged out first because it is where it starts. Job 31.1 says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And then David, after Bathsheba's incident, figured it out. 
Psalm 101, verses 1 through 3. David said, I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When, when will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They shall not cling to me. So we need to figure out what it is that is best for us. What is the avenue causing us to covet? Causing us to lust after another person. Some of us need to throw out our smartphones, bless God. Some of us need to throw away data program, data uh, access, and get a flip phone. So that I can't send, get, or receive pictures, and I can't go to websites. Because I've got so much of a problem. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can separate with my smartphone. I mean, I'm, I got a new iPhone. I got an iPhone 6 Plus, Pastor Bob. <laughs> well, it's better to suffer in life with a flip phone than it is to go to hell with a brand new iPhone 6 Plus. <laughs> Amen? That's what Jesus is saying here. Deal with your issue. Gouge it out. Whatever it is that you're beholding that's causing you to do these things. Some of us need to get rid of our get rid of or lock out our pay-per-view movies and some channels on our television. Some of you may need to drop the whole prescription, subscription, prescription. <laughs> I gotta have my football. If I don't have my football, I'm just an angry person. Subscription. Some of us need to throw away the impossible standards of romance novels and movies. Ladies, your husband is never going to live up to those standards. Those books most of the time are written by women for women to where we can sit down and go, oh, I wish my man lived like this. <laughs> you wish he had long straight hair and he was cut with his shirt off and holding a beautiful woman in his arms. Can I tell you something? He wishes that for himself too. <laughs> it's not in my notes. Never mind. Stop fantasizing about false things and throw yourself fully into your marriage, ladies. Get your needs met there. The second thing Jesus said, He said, you got the eye. Gouge the eye out. That's where it starts. The second thing is, is, is if your right hand offends you, cut it off. This is further down the line. A hand is putting it to action. I see it, behold it, think about it, fantasize about it, dream about it. The hand means you are moving toward or you are in an affair. There are many levels of the flesh being carried out before it arrives at intercourse. It begins in the mind. It moves to a conversation, a flip of the hair, a compliment, a touch, playfulness, to one-on-one -on -one time, to an embrace, a caress, a kiss, so on and so forth. The process goes from the eyes, and there are many levels between a full-blown, complete, adulterous affair. We've got to cut some things off. Some of us have crossed some lines in our relationships. If so, these relationships will never turn back to normal. They won't turn back to normal. It won't go back to being an okay thing with me and her or him and her to where we can just text people and we can just do whatever and back and forth talk and playfully. It will never go back to innocence. 
If it's crossed the line, it's got to be cut off completely. It's got to be stopped. And for that to happen, some of us may have to have a career change. Because we see that person every day at work. Some of us may have to have a job transition. It may mean that you have to stop volunteering in certain community events. You will need to make some major life decisions to get away from what you have started. You say, well, gee whiz, Pastor, I don't know that if I, I don't think I want to do that because then my wife is going to ask why. And, 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 and I don't know if I want her to know why. Well, you should have thought about that before you started the stupid thing. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, I don't want my kids to know. How, what about my kids? I don't want to listen. If you'd been thinking about your kids, you never would have done this. This whole process, folks, we've got to be honest. It's better for you to go to your spouse and say, look, I'm changing the job. This is what I did. I want to give myself completely to you. I love you. I want to fix this, blah, blah, blah. Get counsel and, and move on in, in privacy instead of things being brought before everybody else in the community and everywhere. Listen, you say, I don't want people in the community. People probably already know in the community. Shut it, the puke down. Shut it off. Stop. Cut off your right arm. Allow yourself and your reputation to be damaged a little bit so that you can repent and move on. It's better to live in this life with a damaged reputation and honesty and humility for what you've done than to lie about it and go to hell with it. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He says, stop it. Deal with it. I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. Counseling becomes difficult. You have to realize, over the last year, uh, the last 12 months, I have had more people in my office dealing with pornography issues, sexual immorality issues of all kinds. I've had friends and family. I've had friends and families and parents come to me, Pastor, what do I do? How do I help this person? Uh, whether they're in the church or outside the church, how do I help them with this? I've had to deal with, I've had more people, couples, sit on my couch in the last year dealing with marital issues and adultery and sexual immorality than I have ever had in the last 10 years of ministry. And earlier this summer, probably back in July, early, or maybe it was June, I laid in here broken. Broken. And I said, God, And this is over stuff that you know nothing about. What is going on? I'm in my devotions. I'm praying. I'm seeking God in the Word. I'm way back in the Old Testament praying through. And and I'm sitting here saying, God, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me very clearly. He says, Bob, it's because we've stopped guarding against the hint. We've stopped guarding against the hint. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit was referring to. It wasn't in my devotions. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We've stopped guarding against the hint. We've made a loophole. I've not followed through with it, therefore I'm not sinful. I've not committed a sin. I've, therefore it's okay. And the Holy Spirit convicted me immediately. And I'm going, to be con- I'm going to confess in front of you right now. You okay? You ready? Ready for me to confess? Everybody's like, oh, dear God. He's going to confess. When I'm, when I'm with the guys, I'm playing softball, or, or just hanging out with a few of the guys, it's a safe environment. All the guys in the room, we all know what, what I'm talking about right here. 
making a cute little prank or joke in, in, in a sexual innuendo, uh, you know, toward one another or making a cute comment and then laughing about it and joking about it and moving on. Guys do that. It's a normal thing for guys in the world. But in the church, we shouldn't even have a hint. And, I, and I'm guilty of it. And at the time when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me this summer, I went into the board and I told them, I said, I have to rent, repent in front of all of you and I want to be held accountable because I have not guarded against the hint. And I'm not going to be a part of the conversations anymore. I'm not going to be a part of the jokes and I want you to hold me accountable. Why, folks? Because if we take the little things serious in our lives, we won't do the big things. Can I get an amen over that? If we guard against the hint, if we guard against the, the little picture of that, that man, that sinful man, my old self, my flesh, that there's a part of him still alive in me, where Paul talks about how he wants to do the right thing and he doesn't, and the time things he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing, and there's sin alive, and it, it, that no matter what he does, he's always got to battle with himself. I realized that, and I realized that there was an area of my life there that I was not battling for, and I had to get battling again. We can't allow the hint. You see, because adulteries don't happen uh, just overnight. It begins with a hint. It begins with a look. It begins with a flip of the hair and dressing for somebody or trying to attract somebody or trying to, all these things are making compliments. It begins with those things. It begins with a look. So this morning as I close, I got 10 things and all of you are going to say, oh my Lord Jesus, he's got 10 more things we're never going to get done. I promise you, I'll hit them quick. These came out of an article. Yes, I am using something off Facebook for the very first time in my message. God forgive me. But this was so good. Uh, and, and it was an article called 10 Ways You're Being Unfaithful to Your Spouse and You Don't Even Know It by Gary and Joy Lundberg. And I, I kind of looked at it and I realized that these are, these are hints. These are hints. These are things that we need to guard and protect ourselves against. Number one, flirting. It's not okay. It's not okay to be playful and flirt in the office. And, and, and people say, well, what is a flirt? What is flirting categorized as? And they say this, it usually involves speaking and behaving in a way that suggests a mildly greater intimacy than the actual relationship between the parties would justify. Though within the rules of social etiquette, which generally disapproves of a direct expression of sexual interest. In other words, a flirt is letting them know in a very discreet way that there's a sexual interest there. Some people say, well, Pastor Bob, I don't have a sexual interest. Well, it is interpreted as though you do. Stop it. Stop it. Married people should never engage in this type of behavior with anyone other than their spouse. Flirt with one another. Listen, if you're married, flirt as much as you can together. That's wonderful. Flirt together. Flip your hair and bat your eyes. <laughs> April, flip your hair and bat your eyes more often. I like that. When you walk, walk to where I notice. I like that. It's okay at home but not anybody else. <laughs> Number two, confiding in the opposite gender. When you pour out your troubles to someone of the opposite gender, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position. It may seem harmless. After all, you just needed a shoulder, a shoulder to cry on. Listen, if you've got a problem, you need to go talk to your spouse. Most of these affairs that happen happen with this. Somebody's not happy with their spouse and then two people that don't like their spouse get together and start talking about their spouses to each other and then they find a common bond between one another and both persons is just so much better than the other person's spouse. That's how it happens. 
If it doesn't work to talk to your spouse, if they're going to shut down on you, find a trusted relative, find a clergyman or a therapist or somebody that will listen and try to help give direction. But don't ever, ever, ever just seek out somebody of the opposite sex. Number three, spending time alone with someone else. What appears to be an innocent lunch uh, can always lead into something else. And people are ignorant and they say, well, we're both adults and nobody's going to do. We wouldn't. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. It will happen. Trust me. You spend enough time together alone, it will happen. Don't do it. Talking negatively about your mate. When you're a true friend to someone, you never say bad things about them to others. Your mate is your best friend, is the last person you should ever talk about negatively. If you have a beef with your honey, go to him and talk to him about it. We touched on that. Number five, chatting on the internet with someone of the opposite sex. You think it's harmless? You think it's a pseudo-relationship that it's, not, that it's okay? It's not okay. Many, 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 many relationships have started out this way. I had a friend that was an evangelist that, uh, that this is what happened to him. He had developed a relationship with somebody online, and when, then when people in the, in the district started suspecting something, he said, well, I'm just going to go and fulfill it anyway, and he did. I'm like, dude, what did you do that for? He said, well, they said it was a relationship. I said, apparently it was, because I can't drive three states over, knock on a door and have sex with somebody. So it had to have been a relationship. I had a, had a lady contact me that was a, 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 an old girlfriend from teen camp. Don't you love teen camp girlfriends? They're from other, other cities, and this was a big mistake to begin with. I was caught up in Jesus and searching for a woman for the banquet on Friday. I'm glad they don't have the banquets anymore. But this, this girl, this lady, she, con- she finds me on Facebook and uh, sends a friend request. And I'm like, okay, stupid me. I wasn't thinking. That was my mistake, number one. Number two, she starts sending me chat messages, which I never put on chat because it drives me crazy. I'm trying to work. And, and she starts saying all this stuff about, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm pastor, blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, I'm this. And my husband drives a truck. And he's this. And he's that. And blah, blah, blah. And goes off on her husband. And I just said this to her, typed it in and said, I'm not going to be your husband. I'm not going to fulfill your emotional needs. It sounds like you need to go talk to your husband about it, not me. She said, well, I'm talking to you as a pastor. I said, go talk to your real pastor, not me. And what happened was is she unfriended me for some reason. (laughs) I was okay with that. So the other thing that I want to add to their article is, is... Text messages and contacts and phone calls to the opposite sex, you know, any digital communication like that, you don't need to be doing that constantly. Uh, April and I share a Facebook for this reason. It's just what we do. Anybody that contacts me in Facebook knows that I'm going to see it and my wife's going to see it. That's just how we operate. Uh, I have even begun uh, with text messages. If I have to text a lady in the church for something, I will do a group text to her and her husband. And if I don't have her husband's number, April is added to it. That's just how I operate. Why? Because I want to guard myself against the hint. I don't want to have an appearance as though we're trying to build something else other than really helping one another. Amen? So, so guard yourselves. And those are a couple of good things maybe to think about for your own lives. Um, dressing to attract the attention of someone other than your spouse. If you're doing this, you need to check your motives and why you're doing what you're doing. I remember one morning years ago, April got up and she had something that she had put on that was new or whatever. And she says, how's this look? And I went, whoa, you look nice. She said, I'll change my clothes. I said, no, 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 you look nice. She said, but I don't want that reaction. 
I said, well, you can wear it around the house. <laughs> wear it around the house all you want to. But listen, we need to think, ladies. And if we've got a hint in ourselves of trying to attract the attention of somebody else, we are being unfaithful to our spouse. I need to hurry. Number seven, writing a personal intimate note or letters to someone else. If you're writing a letter of condolence or congratulations or other good wishes, let it be from both you and your spouse. Then there will be no misunderstanding about your intentions. Number eight, not being a willing sexual partner with your spouse. That is a way to be unfaithful. All you're doing for your partner, men and or women, you have to set yourselves up uh, to, to be successful daily, okay? There are certain urges in men that need to be met, and there are certain needs in women that need to be met too. I know I'm, not, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this. Husbands, wives, man, help your husband out a little bit, all right? Husbands, help your wives out a little bit. For them, it's not always a sexual thing. Sometimes they just want to sit down and talk. And wants you to listen and, and to have their emotional needs met by you. They, they don't want it met by everybody else. But if you're not going to meet it, sometimes they're going to go get it met somewhere else. So don't withhold yourselves, whether it be physical. I, I've had to tell men this before. They say, listen, pastor, I'm just not the cuddly type. I'm not, I'm not the type that's going to sit around and just cuddle and snuggle with her on the couch. That's just not me. And I said, well, it better become you. Because if not, it's going to become somebody else. And for, for how, let's put it in this aspect, gentlemen, that if you look at her and say, that's just not how I am. I just don't want to cuddle with you. I don't want to do that. That's just not me. Then what you're saying to her is the equivalent as if she would look at you and say, I love you and everything, but I just don't want to have sex with you. <laughs> this woman is horrible. And now you know how she feels when you don't cuddle and talk. True or false? Ladies, can I get some help up in here? It's true. True story. You've got to, you've got to be able to, to meet each other's needs. And not only that, if you're not meeting each other's needs, it's unscriptural. The Bible says that her body belongs to you and that your body belongs to her. And, and, and what you want her body for is different than what she wants your body for a lot of the times. But you need to be there for one another. Amen? Meet the needs. Number nine, putting your parents before your spouse. Never good. You've got to leave and cleave. If your parents are more important to you than your spouse, they're going to know it and they're going to get sick of it and they're going to feel unappreciated and they will find somebody else that will appreciate them. If you're running to mommy and daddy for everything and telling them all your good news and your husband or your, your wife doesn't ever hear it from you, so they hear it second or third, then that's going to tell them that they're not very important. So make sure you meet the needs. Lastly, putting your children before your spouse. Kids are wonderful, but don't ever put them before your, your, uh, your spouse because one of these days, those little monsters are going to be out of the house and it's just going to be the two of you. And things are going to be jacked up if you don't work on it a little bit now when the monsters are gone, okay? Because they are going to leave someday. Well, you hope. You hope, right? Can I get some help up in here, moms and dads? The kids are going to leave someday. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to live in another house. They're going to come over to visit and bring grandkids and then take the grandkids when you're done playing with them and buying them stuff. This is not where I was planning on this to go. It always happens when I go on vacation and I come back. It's like, well, we had a great time. What would you talk about? Adultery. 
Somebody come play some music or something. <laughs> While these are some really, really good examples and practical things for us to guard ourselves with, the, the best thing we can do and the best source of our protection is to take on the nature of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So we have these two things. We clothe ourselves with Christ and then we don't even think about trying to gratify. We don't fantasize or think about it. We, we should have our minds and hearts full of Christ. And the only way we can rationalize anything we have listed or to rationalize anything in our sexual immorality is to do this. And, we, and I'm going to go back through the transformational process of the Beatitudes. For us to rationalize an adulterous lifestyle is to trade in humility for pride, to think about me, I'm, I'm above all this, to trade in mourning for our sin to practicing sin, to turn in meekness for selfish ambition, to stop pursuing righteousness and to pursue the lusts of the flesh. To leave behind mercy for your spouse, to leave behind mercy for your future spouse, or to leave behind mercy for your family. To trade your pure heart for the smudge of sin. To stop being a peacemaker and bring trouble into the lives of your family and the family of the other party. To trade in persecution for righteousness for the persecution and shame of your own sin. It's absolutely opposite of everything that we talked about with the transformational process. Instead, we need to humble ourselves and admit that we are all capable of anything. Every single one of us. We need to hate sin and we need to mourn over it rather than fulfilling it in our lives. We need to make sure that we are going to be meek and be the meek that inherit the earth to come, uh, to inherit the earth to come, and to stop pursuing the worldliness of this world. We've got to pursue righteousness, pursue Christ in the Word. We've got to turn away from our sin. As I said, nobody that's ever had sexual immorality has ever said, "I've just got the greatest prayer and devotional life." We show mercy towards ourselves and toward our families by guarding our lives, by guarding against the hint. We guard our pure heart with diligence, being genuine, hiding nothing between you and your spouse. We keep the peace in our heart and in our family by living in holiness. And we, we, we have to be willing to be made fun of for your high standards and the right decisions. That's a transformation. Galatians 5 says in verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not. Everybody say, will not. Will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's how you overcome anything, my friend. Living by the Spirit, living by the truth of the Word. There are struggles, there are battles. Everybody's struggle looks different. Everybody's battle and temptation is different from the other. We all have our own cross we got to carry, amen? But you will overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to close out our service today by praying together as families. Now, I realize some of you are sitting here going, well, I'm single, I'm not married. How does this apply? All this stuff applies. You, my friend, if you are single, are in a very dangerous place. Be careful. Guard yourselves. Temptation is strong there. And, and, and I want you to know that you have a pastor and a church family who loves you very much. You are important to us. Whether you're a widow or whether you have, have, are divorced or maybe you are an individual that's not been married yet. You are important to us. We love you. Our teens are important to us. Protect yourselves. Guard yourselves. But we're going to pray as families today. 
If, if you don't have family here and you're by yourself, that's okay. If you want to join a family, I'm sure somebody will let you join them. If you want to come join my family, you're welcome to join my family. But we're going to pray together as families. And we're going to pray for those who are married. And we're also going to pray for those who are single. Okay? Just for the strength to overcome. You say, Pastor, why don't you after this message have a great big altar call? Because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. You know what I don't want to deal with? This. Well, so-and-so responded. I wonder what they're talking about. That's what it is. Listen, this is between you and God. If there's something going on in your life you need to repent of, repent of it. Get it right. Amen?